0: So, grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew 20. Matthew 20. Uh, This is just one of those passages that are just, it's good to have in front of you regularly. Um, It's Matthew 20. And uh, we just want to walk through it briefly. Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, 20th chapter. And uh, I want to read first verse 17 verses, verse 16, I'm sorry. Matthew writes, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house, this is Jesus, who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius, that's a day's wage, A day he sent them into his vineyard, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour, and the ninth hour he did the same. About the eleventh hour he went out and found the others standing. He said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Now I'm willing to bet, especially you parents, if someone came up to you and said, between you and me, which one of your children is your favorite? What answer are you supposed to give? Probably the answer you're going to give. I love them all equally. Right? Because um, you read, that's what you're supposed to say in a book. <laughs> Now, that's the right answer, right? Actually, it depends on the day. Right, right. Yeah, you've been talking to my mother. Then uh, I like to say, hey, Mom, I'm the only one left in Kentucky. So I don't care what the order you put them to in. I'm number one now, right? I've got the, the stripes and the scars to prove it. But you, you do. Obviously, we joke. But you, you, love, you love your kids equally, maybe differently. But, but you, you love them equally. As a pastor, if you were to come to me and, and say... What is your favorite part of the Bible? What's your favorite passage? One answer is supposed to be, I just love all of it equally. You can give me the most difficult to read laws and regulations of Leviticus. You can give me the most violent and bloody atrocities of the Old Testament. You give me the more erotic scenes of Song of Solomon. The most confusing, apocalyptic imagery of Revelation or Daniel, Ezekiel. You give me any parable, right? Any of it. I just love it all equally. But let me be honest with you. Um, There are some parts of the Bible I don't like. And we are looking at a passage tonight that was one of those passages. For a long time, I didn't like this passage. Can you guess why? I ain't no communist. That's why. Right? I'm willing to bet when you read this story, you read it and you're like... Uh, that's a problem. Jesus literally told a story where a group of guys worked 12 hours, a group of guys work one hour, and they got paid the same. And it's written like we're supposed to agree with Jesus. I don't agree with Jesus. Do you agree with Jesus here? I see you're afraid to say it, aren't you? You're afraid to say it because you love all your children equally. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't like this one equally. I'm afraid what you're going to say. Well, uh, we'll we'll deal with him him later. Uh, His his Bible has the sickle and uh, and, and the the sickle stuff. And but don't tell him that represents labor, because then then you know. Anyways, um, (laughs) uh, so so you read this and you think that's not my politics. That's not my economics. Therefore, Jesus must be wrong. I still remember the first time I ever preached on this passage. It was years and years ago. It was where I served at before. I literally spent an entire week, didn't get any, hardly anything else done. Okay? Asked my wife because nothing on the to-do list got done. Honey-do list. And I struggle with this. I went, you know, come Thursday, Friday, I had, I had lunch with some pastor friends of mine. I say, fix this for me. Jesus is wrong. Right? I, I just couldn't get over that fact. Like, I can break it down. Teaching is different from preaching. And I, I just, what do you do with this passage? The issue comes down to when you come to the Bible with preconceived notions and experiences and expect the Bible to fit that, you're going to run into problems. Rather, when you come to the Bible, you read it for what it is. So what we do is we come to the Bible expecting it to change for me. What the story shows us is the need for us to come to the Bible and we change for the God of the Bible. Let me see if I can illustrate what this story is really about. Because it's not about economics. Once you accept it's not about economics, the story, I believe, will become one of your favorite parables of Jesus. It's my favorite now. It was my least favorite. I despised it. I just didn't like it. Now it is, it is probably my favorite. I think I've used this illustration before. Let's just say we've got movie night at the house. And we've got some ice cream in, in the, in, in the uh, freezer. And I go and I fix two bowls of ice cream. One for me and one for my son. And we sit at the couch, we're we're, we're watching the the movie, and we're just going at it. Now, what is going to be the reaction of both? I'll emphasize both. My wife will do this too when it comes to ice cream. Both my wife and daughter, when they see us eating ice cream, they're going to say, it's not fair. Why did you get you and Elijah ice cream, but you didn't get us ice cream? Clearly, you're a sexist, right? Um, And, of course, the answer is, Go get your own ice cream. I can do with ice cream whatever it is I want to do with ice cream. It's my name on the title of the house. That and uh, the bank. But, hey, at least my name's on there. Right? Now, let's say, okay, you know what? You guys, you guys are right. It's not fair that we get to eat ice cream and you don't. Okay. So I go back into the kitchen, and I get two large bowls. And I fill them to the rim with ice cream. There's no more ice cream left. And I bring it in, and I give one to my wife, one to my daughter. What's my son going to say? Not fair. It's not fair. They got more ice cream to me. Look how big that bowl is. You could have got me a bowl like that. There was plenty for all of us. How come you... Now, notice that, that before, everybody was happy. Then, two of us were happy, which made the other two unhappy. And then it switched, and the two that were unhappy are now happy, and the one, of course, me too, that, that, that was happy is now unhappy. That's human nature, isn't it? You and I, we don't want fairness. We want more. It's very important that we'll use the language of fairness, but we, what we want is more. I'm okay if my neighbor is happy so long as they're not more happy. Right? They can have a good marriage. They can have wonderful kids. They can have the perfect lawn, right? I mean, straight out of the magazines. They better not be better than mine. I'm okay if they're wealthy. Wealthy. They better not be more wealthy. I'm okay if they're spiritual. I just don't want them to be more spiritual, at least perceived as spiritual. Now, in order to really appreciate this, con- this, this text, we need to look at the context. And that goes back to chapter 19, verses 13 through 30. And we don't have time to look at all of it. Well, it's, it's really verse 16 to 30, although 13 to 15 is good. But this is the story of the rich young ruler. You know the story, right? This, this guy, he's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. That's where that name comes from. I learned that in cemetery. Aren't you glad? Or seminary, as the youth call it. Um, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And what Jesus says is, oh, I tell you, you're rich, you're young, and a ruler. Get rid of everything you have. Take it, take it to the goodwill. Sell everything. Give whatever you make. Give it to the poor and come follow me. You remember what the guy does? He's like, well, I don't want to sign up for that. I enjoy my wealth. I enjoy my youth. And I enjoy my, my position of, of, of influence. So he walked away from Jesus. He'd rather have these things than the one thing. Right? So his identity and his, 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 his everything was tied in his titles and his wealth and everything else, rather than placing his identity in Jesus. Right? So, 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 so that's the story. Well, then what we get is the disciples come along. And the disciples say, well, look, Jesus, clearly we're going to enter the kingdom of heaven because we did give everything up. I lived a middle-class life as an entrepreneur, a fisherman, and we were making a good living. We left all of that behind to follow you. Aren't we so spiritual? And Jesus summarizes it all there in verse 30 of chapter 19. Many who are first will be last and the last first. One of those little proverbs Jesus likes, right? First or last, the last first. Now, you need to notice the order there. First will be last, the last first. What did Jesus do? That line, verse 30, bridges the story of the rich young ruler and this parable. This parable is to help explain everything that happens. Now, notice what the disciples just did. The disciples committed the same error that the rich young ruler did. Both believe they are already good enough. The rich young ruler asks, what must I do to be saved? Give me the list of rules. Give me the regulations. Give me whatever whatever the list is, right? He's task-oriented, right? I'm task-oriented. Just, can we just go ahead and knock this out so I can move on to something more important, right? It's the way he functions. Now, when he walks away, what do the disciples come up and say? See, we've met the the, the list. They commit the same error as the rich young ruler one might be rich but the other is well connected you know they are connected to jesus one is influential the others are spiritual but they are relying on their deeds and their identity outside of jesus to enter the kingdom of god this constant need to to compare notice the guy leaves and like hey hey jesus we're better than him aren't we right you see see that see see he, me, right? I'm better than that because I have done all this. This constant need we have to compare is a real cancer as, as humans, isn't it? Right now in the news, what is the number one news story, I think, right? Because I, 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 I'm trying to fast from what I from what I used to keep up with. The number one story right now is Facebook and Instagram and social media in general is not good for young adults. You should have already known that, right? I mean, this isn't news, it's in the news, but it isn't news. What makes it news is a whistleblower and the Washington Post uncover these internal documents, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that that's, I guess, good enough. But it's not news. We've known this for years. In fact, I've watched Christians who 20 years ago would have never have said the things that they regularly post and, and write about now. Who are more angry now than they ever were before. And one of the things that's changed is... The overuse of social media. Um, I mean, many you all know I, I like running and whatnot, and some of the things I follow on the IG, as, as the youths no longer call it, but on Instagram is I follow a lot of uh, fitness people, particularly runners, right? And and I've found that when there's uh, whenever I'm struggling with my running, and if I open up Facebook and I see all those, I see. Some people I know, some people I don't know. Most of them I don't know. They're coaches or you know influencers or professionals, or whatever. Is they they will they'll take a picture of their watch. Right, it's got all their times. I ran less than two two miles today, and it puts up you know this is your pace, this is your distance, this is your time. It's got all the details you want. They'll take a picture of it. It's a perfectly filtered, edited photo because I can never get mine to look like that. And and it's it doesn't say two miles like mine did today. Actually, 1.88 miles. Couldn't even get two. It'll say. 22 miles, and it'll say a pace that's faster than my two-mile pace, and somehow they still burn more calories. Whatever it is they're doing, right? Then they've got that, and you look at that like, man, it must be nice to be that disciplined. It must be nice to be able to do that. I sure would like to be able to do that, right? Now other times, it's, it's encouraging, right? Only when I compare my successes to theirs or my failures to theirs, right? Now. That's true with me and running, right? And I've never reached some of those levels. It's true, especially for young teenage girls. Young teenage girls have always had a problem with with body image and comparison, right? We saw that in Song of Solomon, chapter one, a few weeks ago, didn't we? She said, why would you love me when I don't look pretty by worldly standards, right? It's always been an issue. It used to be you had to keep Cosmopolitan magazine out of little girl's hands, right? Or 17 magazine out of young girls' hands, right? I mean, that, that's sort of things parents had to do. Now you have unfiltered access to the internet and to crazy people that we think is okay, right? Um, and so it feeds this insecurity that is in all of us. So this 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 drive to 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 compare is is a real, real cancer. Have you ever noticed moms never post unedited, unfiltered pictures of them and their family fighting before the the, the good picture was taken. You ever notice that? And my wife's a photographer. So you got everyone lined up? Click, 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 click. One of them will work. She will not post the others. Someone contacted her one time and said, can you give me all the pictures you took? You know what my wife said? No. A real photographer will never turn over unedited photos. Neither will moms post such things on Facebook. Or dads. Right? because we need to give the impression of something that isn't really true. Right? Well, let's look at this parable with, with, with all that said. The uh, first will be last, the last will be first. Notice here that uh, Jesus uses this parable to, to show us what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a, a landowner who goes out to get work, right? So, so if, if you are a day laborer, you go to the marketplace, you go to the city fountain, and people come by and say, I need three workers in my vineyard. One, two, three, let's go. And so that's the lowest rung of, of work, right? So your career is the way for people to hire you. Some days you can work 12, some days you may not work at all. And we see both of those in, in, in this parable. So he goes out there and, um, oh, by the way, these workers had less security than slaves. Slaves were guaranteed food and work every day. These guys aren't. They have no benefits, no assurances, right? And their wives send them off in the morning hoping they get work so they can eat, right? It is, it is a very, very low-class lifestyle. Well, uh, in verse 2, uh, the landowner comes out, and he's, he, he needs some workers for his vineyard. Now, it, it is the, it's, it's the first hour, right? This is 6 a.m., okay? 6 a.m., there they are. He says, you're going to work. And, and a full day's work is 12 hours. Okay. So, so they're going to work from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., okay. and, and they agree to work for a denarius. A denarius is a day's wage, okay. um, and so uh, everyone would, would, would agree to that. This is typical. Actually, it's quite generous of a payment for, for people this low. They would expect minimum wage. They're getting just a little above that. So this, this is the sort of guy you want to work with, I think. Verse 3 and 4, it is now 9 a.m., And uh, he realizes I need more workers. So he goes back to the marketplace, the fountain, and he he says, I need more workers. You, you, and you, let's go. And he says, look, I will pay you, notice the text, whatever is right. Now, so far, we we think the story's fine the way it is. Everything is just just perfect the way it is. In verse 5, he goes back out at 3 p.m. He gets more workers. Now, remember, day ends at 6 p.m. So you've got people who are going to work 12 You've got people who are going to work nine. You've got people who are going to work three. And then, in verse six and seven, he gets those who work one hour. He goes out at 5 p.m. This is where we get the phrase, the eleventh hour. My favorite jars of Clay album is called The Eleventh Hour. It's the title track. There you go, BJ. You know what album I'm talking about? The eleventh hour uh, quickly passed me by I, 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 I right? So, so there you go. That's why I don't, I'm not in the choir. Um, so, so you got people. They're going to work 12 they're going to work nine, they're going to work three, they're going to work one, okay? In verse 9 and 10, payday comes. Now, so far, there is nothing surprising in the story. It's quite boring, actually. This is what happens every day in in uh, the Roman world, in, 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 the, in Palestine. It happens every day. Verse 9 and 10 is where everything changes. So what does he do here? Notice the language. It's going to be very important. Uh, when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received an the ear. Now, who got paid first? Those who worked last. Who got paid last? Those who worked first. Does that language sound familiar? First to be last, last to be first. It's in the parable itself. It's very important that you see that. So, those who work last get paid first. And what do they get paid? Well, verse ten. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. So, those who worked one hour, they got paid a denarius, a full day's wage. So, let's say a full day's wage is a hundred dollars. They just use a round number, okay? If you work twelve hours, a day's wage is a hundred bucks. Now, think about you—you you, you are exhausted at the end of end of the day you're anticipating getting that $100 check. You're going to run it by the bank and, and you're, you're, you're going to get your wife some flowers because she's been patient with you. Today's a good day. You're, you're, you're going to get dog food because he's starving and you may get something for the kids, you know, ice cream. And, and so you're really excited, right? And you look down and you see the people that work for one hour, I got a hundred bucks. What are you going to do? You're going to start doing the math. Even if you went to public school in a one county like I did, you're going to start doing the math, aren't you? Okay, 100 $200, $1,200 was coming to me. Now think about it. That is two weeks' wage in one day. That's pretty good, ain't it? When not you like to get paid like that? I mean, that's pretty good. That is pretty good. Pretty good. But then they start to notice something. Those guys that work three hours, they're they're getting $100. The guys that work nine hours, they're getting $100. And then they get a check for $100. Now put yourself in their shoes, how would you respond? See, it's not ice cream anymore, is it? It's bill paying. It's your bank account. What you're going to do is you're going to throw the bowl of ice cream down on the floor. You're going to take the check and say, this is an insult to me. It's exactly what they do. In fact, notice the language uh, in 1011. When those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received an area. On receiving that $100, they grumbled at the master of the house. And what do they say? We think there should be a union. Right? Right? Is that what they're saying? Apparently, y'all don't know what a union is. Right? <laughs> I mean, because, you know, a union boss won't allow this to happen. Right? But that's basically what they're saying. It's not fair. Uh, in fact, the word there is, is grumbled, it's a very strong word in, in, in the Greek. And you keep going there in, in verse uh, 12. This is their argument. These last only worked one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorcher is the Greek. It's the sun. Hottest part of the day. They come at six. They're there the hottest part of the day. It's finally starting to cool off when these guys show up. All right? And he says, we had to bear the brunt of the heat and we get to pay the same as them. What's their argument? It is not fair. They want equality, not equality equity That's the difference equality is equal outcome i'm sorry equal opportunity equity is equal outcome so it doesn't matter how much you work doesn't matter how well you're educated doesn't matter anything you're all going to get the same in the end now let's think about this economically briefly right so let's say bob and tim are going to go work at this place of business all right And the boss says, every paycheck, you're going to get $1,000. It will not be long before Bob and Tim stop working the full hours, right? Because what will happen is Tim will figure it out early. Bob's working overtime. He's just giving it his all, right? Because he really wants wants that check. And Tim, within a week, is like, you know, if I worked half the hours, I'll still get that check. And what's Bob going to do? Well, I don't like that Tim's still getting paid the same as me or not working as hard. I can either complain or I can work as less as Tim. This is the problem with this, right? It, 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 it doesn't work, and that's their point. This is bad economics. But notice what the landowner says to, to them. He asks three questions in verses 13 to 15. Number one, did you not agree to work for this amount of money? You go back a look at the text he, that's exactly what he did. They agreed to work for Denarius. A denarius is a very generous payment for uh, a, a, a day laborer like this. Second question, is it, isn't it lawful for me to do what I want with what is mine? Here's an argument for private property, right? There, there you go, and capitalism, there it is. It's his money, and he don't want no government taking it from him. Sorry, just had to get that off my chest. Yeah, yeah. Man, and look, they don't even have benefits. Can you believe that? No, these guys don't even get maternity leave. That's how, that's how corrupt this guy is. Isn't that awful? <laughs> I'm not touching that. We're, we're <laughs> going to move on. Going to move on, right? Uh, but the answer is, of course, if he wants to be super generous to those who come in last, what is that to these guys? It's his money? He do with it whatever he wants. If he didn't want to pay them a full day's wage, he'd be justified in that. If you wanted to pay them more, be justified in that, right? Think about it. It's, 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 I've done this before. If, if, if I'm over at Wally World because I'm being punished by, by God himself, and I'm over at Walmart, and I'm standing there in line because there's no one there to work anymore, and everything's automated, and no one knows how to work those things. And I look over here, and I see something that my daughter would really like. I didn't come in shopping for my daughter. I didn't come in shopping for my son. I'm going to say, you know what, this would be a nice little gift. Just a little generous thing that her daddy can do. I'll go get it. My son is then going to say, why didn't you give me something? Right? Because it's fair. His beef isn't that his sister got something, but that he didn't get something. He'd be perfectly fine if the shoe was was on the other foot, right? We we get that. That's what what they're complaining about. They're not complaining that they got it in areas. They're complaining that they didn't get more than that other guy. Third question. Are you jealous? The answer is, of course, absolutely they are. You and I agree with the bad guys of the story because we would do the same exact thing. The language suggests here that they're so bitter, they take the check and they throw it back at the boss. Their bitterness turns into wrath. The internal demonstrates itself on the external. Because because the landowner says, take back what is yours, right? It's not mine. I'm giving it to you. So the implication is they just threw it back in his face. They're so angry. So the fact that the, the what does it say there in, in verse, I'm, I'm going to make sure I, that. Um, mine says begrudge there in verse 15. Does he want to have the word "I"? I do. Well, what does is, what is your say? Or is your eye evil because I am good? It's the evil eye. Yeah, it's 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 the envious eye. It's it's jealousy. Uh, I mean, it's, it's interesting language that Jesus uses. Very strong language. Um, again, if if we were to stop here, we would assume this parable is about economics, and we don't like it. Unless you're in Soviet Russia, where Bible reads you, right? That's a funny joke. Let me just pause there. That's a better joke than I think you guys appreciate. If this were Soviet Russia, Bible reads you. Apparently not. All right. Um, um, so what do we do with the meaning? Notice verse 16. So, here's the conclusion. Jesus is going to explain everything about this parable to you. You ready for it? So, the last will be first and the first last. Does that sound familiar? Chapter 19, verse 30 says the first will be last the last will be first. Chapter 20, verse 16 says uh, the last first, first last. Notice he inverts them. So, it's bookended. This parable is bookended with the same proverbial statement. The first will last, last first. Last first, first, last. So, that statement is, explains all of this. Okay? So, what do we do with this? Well, I, have, I believe, and this is where I struggled with when I first was trying to, to work my way through this passage. I thought this passage had to do with economics, justice, fairness. It doesn't. It has everything to do with grace. When you grasp that, you're going to love this parable. Okay? Now, we can't do this with a repairable. Let's see if we can connect some of these characters, right? I think the landowner equals God, right? I mean, I don't think there's going to be any any debate about that. He's the one that owns the land. He's the one that gets the worker. He, He brings them into his kingdom, into his land, into his property, that sort of stuff. I think those who enter the kingdom, right? Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of God. It's it's those who who enter. And they're broken down into two groups, those who work 12 hours and those who work less than 12 hours, right? So even though there's 12 hours, 9 hours, 6 hours, 3 hours, 1 hour, it's really those who work a full day and those who don't. So there's two groups, those who come first and those who came last. That's your two groups. The steward, I think, is Jesus, right? So so on the day of payment or judgment, the steward then comes and, and hands out everything. The evening, uh, maybe we can say that's judgment day. Right? I, I think that's pretty traditional. I, I, don't, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of argument about it. So what, what is the point of the parable? I said it's about grace, but how do we see this? I think for us to see it, we need to see that it's about changing our glasses. The reason we, like the disciples and the rich young ruler, recoil at this parable is because We view the world and how God ought to work through the wrong pair of glasses. Now, had the rich young ruler heard this, he would have been mad. When disciples hear this, they get upset. When we hear this, we get upset. We view the world and ourselves, we think, through a lens of fairness. The rich young ruler thought his self-righteousness and his connections deserved him an applause in heaven. Israel wrongly believed, like the Pharisees, that they should be treated special by God because they are God's chosen people. So they have a racial superiority. The disciples wrongly believed that because they were on the Jesus train, they deserved something a little special. But look at yourself. Look in the mirror and ask yourself, what do you deserve? You may say things like a, a better life. A better marriage, more happiness, a better job, a long life, good health, whatever. When we say these things, we really don't care about anyone else. We don't want fairness. We want special treatments. And we don't want other people to get that special treatments. That's, that's what's wrong with human human attitude. And that attitude feeds bitterness of the soul. We constantly feel as if we've been robbed of something. Here's this person I graduated with in high school and their life looks better than mine, excuse me why I go through a period of depression, Right? It's, 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 it's okay if they're happy, I just don't want them to be happier than me, it's okay if their, their kids are perfect, they can't be more perfect-her than, than mine, right? And this feeds anxiety, it feeds fear and bitterness and envy and pride and that shows itself in anger and malice. You know, I'm going to write you a message. I'm going to tell you what I think. We're going to block people online. We're going to uh, cut out toxic people. You know, whatever all that means. But here's the reality. If God is fair, that's the last thing you and I want. If God were fair, you and I would forever be uh, cast aside by him. Because you and I aren't special. You and I deserve the wrath of God. Every single one of us see ourselves as those who work 12 hours. We're good people. We deserve everything. And what Jesus is showing is actually you deserve nothing. You deserve absolutely nothing from God. You're not special. And if God is fair and God is equal, our lot would be damnation. Because you and I have done nothing to deserve God's favor. Nothing whatsoever. So, instead of wearing goggles of fairness, what we need to do is put on lenses of grace. When you look at life with fairness goggles, you always feel like you're in last place, deserving first. When you view the world through grace, you feel like you're first, but you deserve last. Isn't that what Jesus is saying here? When the world centers around me, when I think everyone should hear my opinion, because I'm more nuanced than the people you see on TV. They're, they're, they're ignorant anyways. You know, the liberal media. Then, when things don't go your way, you're going to feed a bitterness that you will never be able to survive. And it will become a slavery for you. But when you see you've been given grace, been given grace, unmerited favor by God, for no other reason, but because God is that generous, whether you showed up at, at, at 6 a.m. Or, or 5.35 p.m., God gives you grace. That means it doesn't matter what you did from 6 to 5. It doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter what brokenness you bring to the table. It doesn't matter. Any of that stuff doesn't matter. What you get is grace. What you get is God's love. Again, it's not because you're worthy of it, but because God is that incredible. He's a generous landowner. Grace is an assault on entitlements, and it cannot coexist with with, with fairness. So let me see if I can give some applications here, and then, then I might let you go. Number one, grace. What's the old hymn? Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, Yonder, I love that when it shows up in the hymns, yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow you will be today. You remember the chorus? Grace, grace, God's Grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of our sin. Look, that is good news. If, if, if you've never embraced the gospel, it doesn't matter your past, doesn't matter your story, doesn't matter any of that, grace is sufficient. So too, you've done all the church stuff. You've walked the aisle, you've gotten wet, you've done all that, and yet you still struggle with sin? You still struggle with that one sin that that seems to dominate your soul and convict you night after night after night? Grace is greater than all your sin. Notice here, whether you got here at 6, whether you got here at noon, you got here at 5, there's enough grace for you at the end. That's good news. And it isn't that you need more grace than the person next to you or that they need more grace than you. What you need is grace. Secondly, gratitude. The key to thanksgiving, holiness, humility, love, joy, forgiveness is to marvel at the magnitude of grace. Jealousy is our way of proclaiming to God, He hasn't done enough for me. We think we deserve first, but we feel like we're last. That's entitlement. When we feel as if we're first, but we deserve last because of grace, that's gratitude. Let me to share with you what is one of the main problems in the world today we're not grateful. We're not grateful. If we were grateful, then we wouldn't be fighting as much as we are. Why do I care about how much my neighbor makes, how big his house is, how happy the family is, or what other people's opinion of me is? If I'm grateful for my identity in Christ brought, back by, brought about by his grace, I'm not a slave to any of this stuff anymore. I'm truly free. So marvel at grace. All that we have, all that we are is grace. I don't interview with others. I live under God's grace. The air I breathe, the kids I play with, the job I work at, the church I attend, God's grace. I deserve nothing, but I've been given everything. I think uh, Kevin Young is right when he says, quote, The mark of a mature Christian is that you can root for one another. I want you to think about that. Last thing, and then we can go. It's glory. Fairness breeds comparison. Grace breeds worship. If you're wanting to be fair, if you want a little bit more, what you're going to do is play the rat race game. When you have grace, you can stop in an attitude of gratitude. I didn't mean to rhyme that. Um, that's a cheesy rhyme. So, with a mentality of gratitude. I don't, I don't even like that. Ugh. Like there's some of those rhymes preacher used that just make you cringe, don't it? And that's one of them. An attitude of gratitude. I used to think saying be better, not bitter was cool. Don't let me say that again. Right? Don't, 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 don't let me. It's, it's like saying half past. We left that in the 20th century. Right? We're done with stuff like that. We don't need to say that. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah. But if, if, if we've been given grace, the proper response isn't to look at what I have or don't have. It's to look to the one who is the giver of all that I've been blessed with. That's the key to joy. That's the key to a good marriage. That's the key to a peaceful church. That's the key to a just society. Gratitude and glory. Because it takes the focus off of me and puts it on to Jesus. But that's not how we naturally think, is it? Think about it. If, if your favorite team, let's say it's Lexington Basketball Academy, and, and and their coach has won you a national championship and isn't good at coaching, but he's really, I'm just making this off the top of my head, but he's really good at getting entitled 18-year-olds to play for him. Again, I'm just making this up. And he has won... Very, very hilariously bad season. Fans will forget all the success and focus only on the failure. We do the same thing with God, don't we? We couldn't care less that He's given us a spouse. We couldn't care less He's given us a church. We couldn't care less that He's given us His word. We couldn't care less that He's given us His son. What we want to know is how come I don't like my new boss? How come I didn't get that promotion? How come How come I feel certain things? Take the focus off yourself and on the giver of grace. There lies all that it is that you are looking for. Fairness is internally focused, inwardly focused. Grace is, is externally focused. The first will be last and the last first. I love this passage. I love it. You got anything you want to add to it? We'll be, maybe we'll get out early. Danny, you got anything you want to add? I love the stacks. All right. So.